And I think having financial stability definitely helps with that because first started, we're always worried if I don't take this client, I might not have one next month. What am I going to do? So you, sometimes you take on jobs you don't want to take on, but you're taking it on for the money. And that's very dangerous because if you get the wrong client, uh, we all know it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> financial clarity is so much more than money. It's about understanding through your business finance where your business right now so you can be where you want to be with your business 10, 20, 30 years and beyond. Knowing where your business stands financially today allows you to make important decisions so you can grow the business that fuels the life that you want to live. I get it. Finance is not fun for many entrepreneurs. You will hear my guests said the same thing. Finance takes away the time of doing the fun stuff like creating new revenue streams, creating your new online courses, growing the business, your marketing strategy, your networking. But you will also hear over and over again the transformation in their business after they were quote-unquote forced to look at the business finance side. Financial clarity is your GPS. Imagine you are planning a road trip from Toronto to Vancouver, Canada without a GPS. Will you get to Vancouver? Obviously, you will because you're going to be asking people along the way. But this trip can be done within four to five days with a GPS and proper planning. Now, it takes you eight to ten days because you have to ask people along the way. This is the same concept with your business. Imagine how much faster your business can grow, how much happier can you feel, and the less frustration with your business when you have the financial clarity. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs where we talk about the importance of creating a sustainable business and sustainable life through the power of finance. I am your host, Christina Shahli. I am here to change how you feel and how you look at your business finance because finance is S-E-X-Y. Supportable, explainable, extra metrics to assess your business and yours only. Finance is unique to you and your business. Finance empowers you not to be clueless when it comes to your money. And it empowers you to be in this entrepreneurship journey for the long game. Vanessa Go is the founder and creative force behind Fango Creative. In recent months, Vanessa took a step back from the creative side of her business and stepped into a CEO role. She knows that being a CEO means she must really gain financial clarity because her vision is to grow her business internationally. So, a few months ago, Vanessa and I sat down to review her business finance, and I share one important tip to Vanessa. I suggested to her to look at her client base and then group the client base by industry or by region. Currently, she is serving three different countries. So it makes sense if she look at the grouping by region, for example. Then I asked her to analyze the number to understand which group is the most profitable so she can focus on it and then which group is not profitable and she can tweak her process. 
you want to finish this episode until the end because Vanessa is sharing what changes did she implement in her business based on the financial clarity that I gave her a few months back and how did the change impact the growth in her business. Let's listen to Vanessa CEO journey. Vanessa Go, welcome to her CEO journey. So Vanessa is my guest today and then she is the CEO of Fango Creative, a boutique creative studio. Vanessa supports businesses through branding, website, photography, and UX UI. And I just found out today that UX UI stands for user experience, user interface. And Vanessa can explain that more, a little bit more as we get into this uh, interview. Okay, Vanessa, so please share with my audience, what is your CEO journey? Like, when did you get started? What is your business? Hi, everyone. So I was basically a marketing manager when I started working, but I always loved design. So I didn't exactly graduate as a designer or, or like I just did a basic media degree. So I was working in marketing for probably almost 10 years, but I was always freelancing on the side. So I was just doing little design things. And as I worked with small and medium businesses where, you know, every time you're in a job, you kind of have to do a bit of everything Mm because, you know, it's not a large company where you have a specific role. So I kind of deviated towards design a lot more, learned to build websites, learned to design better flyers. So, you know, I sort of learned my design skills as I worked as a marketing person. Mm. And when I finally made the move, so my husband and I had to move to KL about four years ago, I decided to try doing like try being a freelance designer full time. And it's been great. Every year since then, I've added sort of a person to my team. So now I think I'm in my fourth year now and I'm, I have a team of five actually. So I think it's like a, yeah, so we're now like a boutique creative studio. Okay, so I know that you lived in Perth before Australia. So yes. when you said you you were working as marketing person, so that's kind of like a corporate job. So you have like a normal job as a marketing. But you started freelancing even when you were in Perth, Australia, right? Yeah. So then four years ago, you basically moved to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and then you, you left your job and then you started creating your own business. So when you say freelancing, that mean you, that's when you start to become a true entrepreneur. That's right. And the funny thing is I was very grateful because when I left Kurt, I um, spoke to the company I worked for at the time and they actually let, let me keep a portion of my job. Wow. Because I was marketing. So a lot of the things were done online anyway. It's not like I needed to be in the office. So we sort of split up our job scope and they, they were happy to say, you know, we'll pay this amount of money and you can do it from KL. So I also started with having that when I moved back. So that was the beginning. You know, that was how it started as well. Because, you know, otherwise, you know, honestly, I had, wasn't like I planned it. Like, okay, I'm going to go to KL. I'm going to be a freelancer. But it just started like that. And I was like, I was like okay, we'll just go back to KL and, you know, see, see how it goes, see what kind of jobs I can get. And it was very organic, I would say. Why did you move to Kuala Lumpur? Why did you move to KL? Long story short, husband. <laughs> so he <laughs> wanted to start a business in KL. So we moved from Australia to Malaysia for him to do that. 
So sort of, uh, yeah. So you had to follow him. I had no choice. You had no choice. <laughs> yes. Okay, got yeah. it. <laughs> okay, so when you first started, even though you have that marketing job, that is not your own business. That is not the freelance. It's no. not related to design. Okay, so what did you study in university? Was it marketing? I did a media degree. Oh. So it's called mass communications, and then I had a post grad in international business. Ah, okay. Yeah. So your design side—that is—is that something that you always like? You always passionate about it? How did you even start freelancing when you were in Australia? So design is something I was always very interested in. I was very creative. When I was in school, and I actually did a lot of the sports day flyers, and you know all those like activities. You know, I would be the one doing the boards and and prettifying everything. But when I went to uni, I never, I just, it just never occurred to me that design could be something you do for a living. You know, okay. like I always thought it's a hobby, and you know, you okay now I gotta go get a real job, and then that's just my hobby. So. Because of that perception, um, that's why I never pursued design, you know, full time. But I, I always loved it. So when I was in a marketing job, you know, there were some flyers just in Word. And then, you know, I would go like, oh, no, this doesn't look great. I can make it look better. And so it started like that. And, and you know, soon people would say, oh, wow, she's doing a great job. And then some of my colleagues, they have like side businesses or their wives had businesses and they would go, oh, you know what? Um, do you want an extra job on the weekend? You know, I have a flyer for like this event and you know, can you do it for like 50 bucks? So I would be like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, it was like, yeah, it just started like that. Yeah, somebody just asked me to do something in Photoshop. That was probably like my very first job, probably 20 bucks. They were like, oh, can you just make this ball like green or something like that? I can't remember. But that was exactly how it started. Just wow. little things like that. But that's awesome. Okay, so now you move from Australia to Kuala Lumpur, right? And then you were doing this marketing job. How did you even start to find clients in Australia? Are you just taking like small project? And then I, I want to hear how that journey start from one client to become like a bigger and a boutique creative studio now? I definitely did a lot of small projects while I freelance. So it's not like I, you know, did a branding package for people. It wasn't anything sophisticated like that. You know, I started basically doing, because I was in marketing, there was a lot of communications design. So a lot of brochure, mailbox drops that would go out content pieces, articles, and a lot of word um, templates. That's how I got started when I started doing, you know, as a little Photoshop job or a little flyer for a golf event. So a lot of them are little events, you know, like activities, even from like, you know, my colleagues, wives, uh, like, you know, like their kids, you know, their school needed something. So it started very small, just like flyers here and there. You know, little logos, little texts, just asking me to, oh, can you put a, you know, a dolphin in the ocean, something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and then it went on to sort of header designs, you know, okay, this is like, what, 10 years ago now, right? You know how websites used to have just the one header, the big white um, banner. Yeah. So I would do some of that. Yeah. Yeah. So during my marketing um, career, most of the jobs that I had were smaller jobs as in, a flyer, you know, 
fixing, tweaking a website maybe. So I was just doing little bits and pieces here and there. But as I progressed, I mean, towards probably um, later, I started becoming really good at doing logos as well because I played a lot. So yeah, that's when I started offering sort of logos and websites together. So that was probably the first uh, major one. I think the biggest, more serious projects came when I started freelancing full-time because I would always say no to the bigger jobs anyway because I had a full-time job. So I never took on more than I could handle at that time. Full-time freelancing happened when you moved to KL, correct? Yes. Okay. So how did you get your first client in KL? A referral. Just like that. So I just, you know, met up with, you know, I reconnected with some friends that I knew in Malaysia. And I said, you know, I was looking for design jobs. If anybody needed a graphic designer or needed a new website, let me know. <laughs> through that, basically, my first job came to me through a friend of a friend. And it was to create a design system for an existing brand. So they were growing rapidly and they had, um, they were global business. So they needed a design system to basically be shared with everybody. So everybody would have the same guidelines on what to do, like what colors to use, what fonts, not to do this, but to do that. So that was my first project and it was quite successful. It actually led to a retainer, a retainer arrangement with this brand and we we're working with them for, I mean, till today, we're working with them. Wow. They're still our clients today. So your, your business model, when you first started, just to clarify, you're offering done-for-you service. That's what your boutique studio is, right? It's a done-for-you client services. You're not offering any coaching service. You're doing everything for your client. We're not consulting. We're producing exactly. the actual work. Exactly. Yeah, right. You're producing actual work. That's so correct. you're doing everything from yeah. uh, for your client from A to Z, basically. Yeah, that's okay. right. So when you first started and then you're offering package and then later on become a retainer, is that still the same model that you are doing right now with your business? Yes, definitely. It always starts with, you know, project because obviously... We don't know the client, the client doesn't know us. So it's, it's our opportunity to build trust. Mm-hmm. And normally we, you know, obviously we try to do our best. So the moment we do either a website or a logo, normally that will then translate into sort of a retainer arrangement after that because they would need, most of these businesses need, you know, help with like getting all their collaterals out and doing things. So we sort of become their design and marketing support. And because of my background in marketing, it's quite, you know, it's a lot of help to them. Like they, I can advise them what you need and, you know, and they would be like, oh, then we need somebody to make that. (laughs) So all right, we can do that. So majority of your project later on becomes a retainer client. That's right. Wow. So basically you are receiving consistent monthly income because the retainer model that you are using in your, in your business then. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So from the first year, you know, going to second year, third year, and fourth year, what has changed in terms of pricing, for example? How did you even determine your pricing at the very beginning, and, you know, for your project? And then later on, the retainer, the monthly retainer, what did you do? 
So this is a good story. So in the initial years, I did probably what most people do and I priced it based on hours. So I would determine my hourly rate and I would estimate the number of hours needed to complete the job. And then I would quote a client. So my thinking probably from year one to year two was like, all right, I'm $100 an hour. It's going to take me five hours. So I quote 500. Simple as that. That was like my basic calculation method. Obviously not the right method. <laughs> so as How did I you know it's not the right method? So because of my background as a marketing person and as a designer, so when I started, there were obviously a lot of things that I don't know about business. Yes. So I was good at doing the work. I was good at designing, but I was not good at pricing or maybe I wasn't that great in client management and sales, which is, you know, probably all designers um, would say like, there's not a part that we, that comes naturally to us or something that we like to do, especially in the beginning. But I've always listened to my friends and family, you know, talking, obviously, the more I get, I got into business, the more I knew I needed to learn. So I, I, I read business books and eventually, obviously, found out that that wasn't the right way to price things. <laughs> so I started to realize, oh, okay, this is not the way to do it. So our prices, as obviously, I started pricing through value, the value that we're giving, because we, I realized that we were giving a lot of value for very low price. And that's why we're always overbooked and busy. And the money is great. But then, you know, some I read somewhere as well, if you're constantly overbooked and you're closing more than 50% of your deals, it means your prices are too low. So <laughs> That is a like, very oh, good okay. advice. Yeah, so I read that somewhere. I was like, oh, that's me. So I got to, you know. So, I mean, I did it gradually, obviously. From year to year, our prices increased. But our work increased as well, as in like, you know, we put a lot more effort into a logo or flyer than I would say four years ago. You know, we, we take a lot of the guesswork out right now by doing a lot of like extra processes. And those processes are very valuable and mean a lot more. So our prices just continue to go up from there. So I realized that eventually I made a lot more money pricing based on value rather than pricing based on hours because you know then you have a then you keep the seating with your limited hours like you know you can only have x amount of hours to do something so if you price it by then you're overbooked you can't really do much more that's a very good lesson okay now when you say you are pricing based on value can you please explain what do you mean by that i actually look at the client now i don't Previously, I'm biased in a way that I don't care who the client is, my price is the same. Whether the client is an MNC or is a small business owner, my price is like just X, you know? But now I look at it in terms of the client. So if it's a small business owner starting out, I might price it differently. But if it's a larger company, then I'll price it differently as well. Because it's also, I look at it in a way is without our design, it's costing them as well. How much is it costing them to not have good design in place compared to, you know, having that? And with larger companies, there's a lot more things that go into it, a lot more process. Kind of price it as like, what would you do if you don't have us? So what, what, what is the amount of money you're wasting by not getting it right now with us, you know? Okay. But, you know, I know a lot of business owners struggle with that, Vanessa, right? Like it's, they struggle yeah. to determine the value. 
Can you give me an example, give the audience an example, you know, like a particular client without telling us, you know, their name, what is your process when you said, okay, how much are they missing without having a great website or without having user experience, user interface, the great one? So how do you determine that? Can you give an example? Maybe I'll use a small business owner and large company. A small business owner might just have a website for exposure. So say, for example, it's for you. So you're a coach. So all I would need to do is, you know, make obviously a beautiful website and probably have an inquiry form. And mm-hmm. you may be selling some ebooks or uh, products and that's it. Mm-hmm. But for a large company who has, pro- let's say, a cake studio, which mm-hmm. is our client right now, they have three stores, physical stores in the city, and they're selling their cakes and cupcakes online as well daily. And they're doing thousands in sales a day just from that thing. But they have a very wonky system right now and they want to make everything more elegant and beautiful and streamlined. What's the cost of not doing that properly? Because right now people are going to their website and going, oh, I'm on your website, but I can't pay. The button's broken. You know, like, I'm trying to press this and nothing's working. So these are the problems that, I mean, the reason why they hired us was because of problems like that. So they're missing a lot on sales Mm. by just not having that done properly. That would cost way a lot more than somebody's corporate website where it's just, you know, inquiries and a few things compared to something that's like of that scale. Mm. So therefore, we can't, although it would, take us maybe the same amount of hours to fix both websites. Mm-hmm. We would charge the other client a lot more. Okay, so that means when, uh, when you first met the client, you have a good sense on what is their sales price, you know, for that cake, for example. So you have an idea how much money they are losing from their business by not working with you. And then you incorporate that into your pricing. Yes, and I tell them as well. I'm Perfect. like, hey, you're losing out this amount and you know, you need to get this right. This is the price. Once this is done, you're going to expect immediately this percentage of increase in sales. Perfect. So when you started doing that, by looking at your pricing and then price your product based on value, what happened to your business? Oh, definitely increase in Revenue for sure, but yeah. more importantly, we're not as busy, which is great. So we're you know we're doing less work but getting more money, which is great for my team and for myself because it gives us time to focus on other things as well. So we're not like constantly, you know, with my philosophy with my companies, I don't want it to be like an ad agency where everyone works weekends and overnight and burn out and lose their life and things like that. I mean, this is a common stereotype with anybody that works for an agency. And I, when I started my business, I didn't want that. So I definitely wanted to create a model for pricing or work, uh, even our processes um, of working or whatever, that we can you know, work a normal amount of hours and still get a lot of things done and earn good money for it. Pricing it this way has certainly helped you know, balance everything out for all of us. Because, you know, when when I first started, of course, you go through that because you don't know what you don't know. So there is the one period where everyone is working very hard and we're earning money, but we're also tired and burned out. And I was like, 
this has got to stop. You know, we've got to find a balance somehow. So I think about year now, we're, we're there. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So you started implementing this value pricing in year three. Yeah. Early 2018. Early 2018. And then you can see that your business is just going in terms of revenue is just yeah. going up really fast, right? I think you and I yeah. talked off camera before that your business is like tremendous growth in 2018. How do you measure your profitability now? What is your process within your business as your business is growing? I mean, we spoke about this as well. I'm not a very good numbers person. So how we measure is basically, I would take obviously our turnover, how much we made. Mm-hmm. And I would still track the number of hours we took to make it. And then the cost of obviously staff. So we will break down the cost of staff based on hours. And then there we would find sort of a profit margin for, you know, by project and overall as well. And then when you start increasing and then using the value-based pricing, what was your expectation in terms of profit margin? What did you give yourself for profit margin? I didn't. <laughs> so my, <laughs> so I didn't really set a goal. You know, all I wanted was, because I wasn't a numbers person and, and, you know, we spoke about this and yeah. I'm getting, getting better. To me, the metric was certainly everyone's well-being, the hours that I see being put in, being less, everyone being a bit happier and, you know, money going up, but hours going down. So I knew I was making more money but I had calculated a profit a lot later. Not, you know, I didn't think like, okay, I'm going to do this value-based pricing. And then I set like a goal. I didn't do any of that. It's probably bad, but I, I sort of did that. And I saw um, overall, you know, everyone's being, everything being better. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of like, as we spoke, I only sort of honed in on my numbers probably about six months ago, like really started looking into it. For me, it was just like, look at my bank account. As long as the number is going up, I'm good. (laughs) But I think you also, when we spoke before, I remember you have a system where you set aside a certain amount of money. Or even when you were looking at your bank account, you were saying, okay, if if my balance start dropping, then I'm in trouble. So I remember you you, you have a process there. So I call it the runway, cash flow runway, basically. So whatever expenses my business have each month, so that would be staff wages, all the apps that we use. Uh, We work from home, so we don't have an office. So, I mean, we share an office space. So all that costs, I mean, obviously amounts to a monthly amount. And what I had set for myself is I must have two months of that monthly amount in my bank account at all times. So in the unlikely event that I get hit by a bus and everything stops working, everybody is still going to get paid and everything can go on for two months without us doing anything. If we just stop working today, the whole team, we would still survive for two months. That's not counting. I mean, we have a lot of retainers. So these are all already set amounts coming in for an indefinite amount of time. But that um, security is, is, you know, I feel safe having that amount. So I can also, I'm not desperate for client work, you know, and say, oh, there's nothing booked, you know. So I always try to build as much of the, you know, financial security and also uh, as much uh, 
sort of booked in projects ahead of time as long as I can. I'm very risk averse, so <laughs> that's how I sort of make sure that I am, yeah, I'm, I'm safe. I can do what I want, or if you know, client comes by, I'm not desperate. Like, I've got to take any client because we choose our clients very carefully. And I think having financial stability definitely helps with that because otherwise, if you know, I think a lot of freelancers can, you know, when we first started, we're always worried if I don't take this client, I might not have one next month. What am I gonna do? So you sometimes you take on jobs you don't want to take on. Yeah, you're taking it on for the money. And that's very dangerous because if you get the wrong client, uh, we all know it's going to be a nightmare. (laughs) You know what? Like, I mean, I think, you know, I mentioned that to you. It's very good. The fact that you make sure you have your bank balance stay based on that two months of expenses. That's what, you know, we normally call emergency fund. So, you know, if you get hit by a bus, that is something that you can always take back. Now, did you put it in a separate bank account so you always have a reserve, you know, of that two months or you put no. it all? You should. No. <laughs> I think because, because you know what? It never goes below that. <laughs> so, you know, I think you need to consider putting it in a separate account. So you're okay. never going to touch it. And then so you know that if something happened, you know, whatever in other uh, the other bank account, you know, that is strictly emergency fund, right? For emergency only. Okay. Okay. And then yeah. the other one is some, you know, where you have all your oh, transactions. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and then, you know, that, that two months reserve, you can always put it in an investment, you know, short-term investment. So it's earning some interest okay. as well for you, right? right? Good idea. Exactly. Yes, so it's, that, that's a good idea, yes. Yeah, so you can start doing that. So it will build, mm-hmm. you know, more fun. It's not only the two months as the money is earning more, yeah. then it's good. And then I also know because in Malaysia, in the Asian country, normally the interest rate is higher than in North America. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So you can make more money by doing that. So that is one thing that you need to start setting aside. Awesome. Awesome. Now, your company is growing. Now you have how many employees do you have? Five. Okay. You have five employees. When you started, you started on your own and then you have five now. You have employees that you have to manage. That means you are stepping back no longer as the designer. You become a CEO. (laughs) of your company, right? So explain to me what have changed? What is the transition in terms of your mindset? How you look at your business? How is that changed since you stepped back from the designer function and then more the CEO? Yes, it's, it's tough, I have to say. Um, it's very different to what I'm used to. I'm used to doing the work. So I've always been sort of the operations kind of person, whether in marketing or in design, you know. And now I feel like I have to look at strategy and look at big picture and train people. So these are very new things to me, but I know I have to do them and I have that sense of responsibility. So I'm kind of excited because it's like a new a new phase for me, I guess, like you know, a new phase of my life because I finally managed to hire a designer to sort of replace me in the design aspects of somebody that's senior enough. And now I suddenly have this time to look at the business as per your advice. I'm taking you know, more time to look into the numbers, um, trying to get the projection and budget sorted. So I'm sort of in bed 
right now. It's just started. You know, I feel I've just started and that's what I'm doing right now, starting to look into it. And it's a, you know, again, a steep learning curve of a completely different thing. So I feel like I'm a student again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. From people like you, you know, learning from everyone. Yeah. But you know what? Like it is a very exciting journey, right? Because yeah, now yeah, for sure, you for sure. are visionary of your business, of Fango Creative. You can create this and then you can bring this company to wherever you want to go. Yes, and that's a scary thought because I'm suddenly like, oh, what should I, where should I bring it to, you know? <laughs> Recordings are just, just do the work, yeah, don't worry too much. Exactly. When you are the designer, I think it's more about doing the work, doing a great job, and then now you're more like... Yes thinking, where can I grow this company? So tell me, what is your vision? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, I am still thinking about it. I haven't, you know, what I thought would be nice because I'm, you know, having some dreams now is to have both um, offices in Australia and Malaysia. Wow, really? Being able to have two places because I guess... For me personally, the ultimate goal is to be able to live between two countries. I don't think I could choose one or the other. So <laughs> I decided like I would try to do both. <laughs> so it'd be nice if my business could also do both. So when you said that you want to have in two countries, I don't think you are thinking about having physical office, is it? Possible offices in the future because we're doing photography. I think uh, if it was any other service, it would be fine to be remote. But the reason why we have a shared office here in KL now as well is because of, of our props and uh, lighting equipment. So it oh. is a possibility to maybe have our own office in two places and have two teams and service clients around the world. What are your client base right now? Is it Australia and Malaysia or? American, Australian and Malaysia. For the American one, how do you even do the photography? Like, I guess... It's, oh, no. It's, so we don't do photography for, for the ones over there. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> design so, and marketing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what do you do for the North American market right now? So we are mainly doing design and marketing. We are like an outsourced design and marketing department to them. So we work, you know, for example, for um, this one client. They um, do facility management. So we, we don't only deal with the one client, we deal with their entire team. So they would have a team of 10, I don't know, different teams of managers who manage different offices. And each of them would, would sort of email us, I need this flyer for, for this event. Uh, I need a business card for this. I need a form, you know, an official form. So we are sort of their design and marketing support. We produce all those for sort of, that company that's sort of in a state of growth. So we're dealing with a lot of people there, even if it's just one company, so that the boss doesn't have to worry about it, you know? Oh, so is it also uh, using monthly retainer or that is more project? Some are monthly retainers, some are hourly rates. Oh, okay. So monthly retainer and hourly rate. Okay. So now you have kind of like three markets, the way I see it, right? You have from Malaysia, business owners, uh, Australia, as well as North America. How do you strategize? Like in terms of, are you focusing in all market or you're focusing on a specific market? Like how do you see in terms of the marketing strategy? 
I think that our, no matter what country that we work in, our market is the same. Okay. There's small, medium businesses in a state of growth. They're growing really fast. They're hiring a lot of people and they need a team like us to sort of be the anchor to run a lot of their marketing activities. So they have a lot of ideas. They have a lot of people and nobody to execute the actual artwork or the emails that need to go out. So we are the people who, we don't know, we don't only design the flyers and emails that go out, we schedule them. So we know that every three months, this needs to go out, the newspaper ads coming out at this date. So we help keep them on track with all of that. So we're like, yeah, that's why I say design and marketing because we're not just designing, we're, we're helping them to manage the entire marketing process. Mm. So for no matter what country, we are doing the same thing pretty much in Australia, in America and in Malaysia. We support them this way. How do you market your business though? Like for, especially North America, how do you get clients? How, I'm curious, like it's like three. Honestly, it's all referral based for us. Even in North America? Yes, even in Australia to Malaysia to any random person, we're all referred. We never took on random clients we do not know. And I am actually... I prefer that. I've not taken any clients to, to till today, clients that I do not know that would approach me from nowhere. I don't take them on. I only take people that come from somebody I know. So all this year, you've been getting clients and grow your business through referral. That's amazing. So obviously our portfolio speaks for itself and through referral. So once we uh, get connected, we show them our work. And yeah, we go from there. But yeah, I, I can't say like I've spent on social media. I mean, we have social media channels and websites and everything, but I wouldn't say we've gathered. They are not our lead generation too. They are our portfolio for when everyone, like when people already know who we are and want to find out what we do, then they go to our social media and website to see our work. The online stuff is not the first point, actually. It's the last point to the sale. So your lead generation is referral basis. Wow, that's really awesome. Okay, so when we first talked before, like a few months ago, you and I talked and then yeah. I suggested to you, Vanessa, categorize your market and then see, because you know my approach has always been focus on a product that bring you the biggest ROI. And then in terms of ROI, mm. it's not only in terms of the money, but also the client type that you enjoy working. I think we talk about that. You did say that, okay, you know what? You can categorize them, not the product, but based on region, which is, I think that was fantastic on how you look at your business, right? That's right. Because you yeah. are offering the same product to all the, to the regions, right? Like to the countries. When I ask you to start focusing on that, what did you realize? So, I mean, and thanks for pointing that out, Christina. I think I only started realizing after you pointed out and I started looking into it. And I realized that I guess a lot of the better projects with a better ROI are coming from overseas. So they are coming from, you know, the American and Australian clients. They are the sort of the projects that you um, a lot more profit, but they are also, I guess it's because of values and culture as well. They're a lot easier to work with 
and they um, respect boundaries a lot more. I mean, in Asia, and I'm not saying this for all Asians, but yeah. in general, it's a different work culture here. You don't choose the right client. It can get a bit crazy. I mean, they can contact you all times, all day, weekends, and they expect things to be done immediately. So I'm saying this like this is obviously the crazy. I mean, these are the the ones on the one extreme which we dealt with once and never decided never to do again. But yeah, I realized that it's also clients are also like they also have to be a cultural fit mm. to your team. Perfect. And because my approach was never about oh we want to get big clients and work with bigger brands, yep. it was always about let's let's do good work. And let's mm-hmm. have a good work-life balance. All of us need to have fun. We're creative people. We need that space. Let's make the best amount of money we can while having the most fun. So I've never wanted to go for bigger brands or big accounts and landers. But I prefer to work with small, medium-sized business owners. And you know, I feel like we share that same passion. You know, everything's moving and it's all exciting. And that's sort of the space we want to be in as well. I guess there's also a lot of different entrepreneurship, especially coming from America, you know, yep. there's different energies, you know, with different yep. people. So I, I mean, it's just my experience, you know, I've not dealt with so that many people yet, but the ones that seems to be, you know, the best fit for us are coming from overseas for sure. Well, you know, like I, I came from Asian culture as well. I work in Asia yeah. for many years before I moved to Canada. So I definitely understand what you are talking about. And then I love that you're not only looking the ROI from dollars perspective, that you really want to create a good culture for your team, right? Where they enjoy working yeah. with you. And then you want to create a life for yourself as well, that you can still have time for friends and family. So I really think that it's really useful. So what have you changed since our talk about, you know, where you need to focus and then what kind of clients that you enjoy the most? So what I've realized is, you know, because clients are coming from overseas, if we want more of that, where am I going to get that, right? With all the businesses being referrals, it's not like I'm going to randomly go networking and approach people and I don't do any of that too so I'm a total introvert (laughs) so what I've decided to do is actually to strengthen my relationship with the clients I already have Mm. so a lot of the you know we've been very busy and you know we can always take some time to Mm. spend time with our clients so for example um one of our American clients I've never seen any of them Okay. You know, we, we were referred to by a friend who also worked for them and we started working and it's probably almost two years, but we've never met in person. We've had a lot of calls. Yes. Here and there. So I've decided to go to New York sometime this year and go see them. Really? Are you you're coming to this side, eh? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to make a trip to New York nice. and I, I guess as a business owner now, I'm in that I have the ability to do that as well. So I believe for me, that's the way I'm going to do it. So I'm not going there with saying that okay, I, I want to have like X amount of leads and generate more business, but I'm just going to go there, meet them and see, and you know, who knows where it may be. There's yes. always opportunities everywhere. So Exactly. And then I think that is a very good approach for you because building personal relationship is really key to your business, right? 
That's right. That's right. It's all about that trust. Exactly. Yeah. It's about the trust factor. So I completely agree. That's that's really a good investment for your business. I like how you think about that. Now, in terms of the market where the culture is not fit, you know, like the the Asian culture does not fit. Nothing against Asian culture because we're both Asian. So. Yeah. What did you do to kind of like weed out the non-ideal client? Let's put it that way. So I, I believe in Asia, actually, if you want to talk about dollars, they're the ones with more dollars. Exactly. They pay a lot more. Agree. That, you know, their demands are a lot higher. Yeah. So what I've done is I've sort of raised my prices on, on this side as well. That sort of filtered out a lot of the demanding clients who want to play the price game or who may want to, you know, sort of put you against other agencies. There's a lot of that going on here as well. You pitch and they see, you know, three pitches and they pick the one that, you know, they like the most or, or they steal your ideas sometimes. It's crazy. No kidding. So, yeah, so I've decided, I mean, there are a few rules I've set for clients in Asia. Number one is I do not pitch. So I will not pitch for any project. Pitch required, I'll just say no, never mind, thank you. So I'll only go for the people who approach me directly for my services and say, would you like to do this? We're not really looking at anyone else. We just want you to do it. So that immediately filters a lot of, um, you know, all these things out. And uh, I've raised my prices. And yeah, we just have a process as well. I mean, internally um, in our agency for having a checklist of the client we want. So when they fulfill that checklist and, and all the conditions, great then you can work together and they're very good ones as well they're just harder to find so i've sort of been more you know careful about the process of selecting clients perfect perfect i think that's a very good strategy right like to have a checklist i love how you talk about changing your process to basically fit in to your vision on where you want to take this company to the next level. So that is really, really awesome. Okay, so my last question to you, Vanessa, I would love for you to give your opinion or your advice to female entrepreneurs who wants to start this journey or to someone that is already in the journey, but they are like struggling. Right. Because, you know, when you're just starting out, you know how it is. There are struggles, right? Either mindset, getting leads and all that stuff. What would be your best advice and or strategy that you can tell them? There are so many. (laughs) Okay, I think the most important thing is to manage your time. Mm. So if you're a female entrepreneur and you've started on your journey or whatever state you might be in, you got to understand that there are responsibilities that come with owning a business. We're not playing here, you know, it's, it's, for, it's for something big. So I feel like you need to manage your time so that you're in your optimum mental state, physical state and spiritual state because you need them all to run your business. You can't do one without the other not for long term anyway. So I'd say the first thing is to try to get to an optimal state of well-being, learn as much as you can about the business side of things. Because surely if, if you're a designer like me or a marketer or a social media, you're already good at what you are doing. So what you need to learn is the business side, the numbers side. And, and it takes time, you know, like I'm getting to the numbers side and there's, you know, things to learn about 
people, managing people, managing clients, numbers, but you can do them one by one and learn as much as you can and stop watching Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Netflix is good if that is... Watch this podcast instead. (laughs) (laughs) But I think... If you think of your business as a marathon instead of a sprint, and then you are in the journey for the long game, you will be not careful, but yeah. you you're gonna you be persistent. Stamina. Yes, you're yes. gonna you need, you need your stamina. stamina to run this marathon. Yeah, exactly. So that's why, like, I love how you said that. Make sure that your I guess when you say it's a state of well being, I think it's a lot of mindset work. It's a lot of personal right. development as well. Because what I learned is that getting into entrepreneurship is really, really the most challenging, the best. Once you get where you want to be, it's yeah. going to be the best result. But it's the most challenging self-development for you because That's you are right. working right. on your own, right? At your own pace as well. No one is going to push you. Yep. So, you know, the rate of which you, you know, the how fast you get there, it's totally dependent on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And then where you want to take the company, your vision and everything, that's on you. You don't have a boss. You are your own boss. That's why I say, you know. And And it's hard when you don't have somebody pushing you. No. And then that's why we're all in this entrepreneurship journey because we don't want to have somebody telling you, right? Like, but it's a learning process. So I love how you, you take this, how the journey, your CEO journey, it's amazing. So where can people find you, Vanessa? Can look at my website or follow me on Instagram. Oh, Say hello. That's where um, you you're more active. On Instagram, like yeah. Instagram. Okay. So Instagram and your website. Okay. I will put all of that in the show note. So Vanessa Go, thank you so much. It has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another powerful episode of her CEO Journey podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud so you will not miss another episode. My hope this podcast resonates and inspires you to continue your own CEO journey. If you are inspired, please leave a nice review on iTunes so more female entrepreneurs will listen to this podcast. And when you are ready to pay yourself like a true CEO, take control over your finances and want to know how to grow your business through the power of finance and positive cash flow, visit my website, kristinashahli.com and download my free video training series. Now, let's continue your CEO journey in confidence and make sure you inspire other female entrepreneurs.